And today you're listening to the eighth episode of season two of the Peacebuilding Practitioners podcast. As this is the last episode of this season, Antonia will bring back all the loose ends and wrap the topic up for now. So, Antonia, one last time, the stage is all yours. And here we go. Hello, friends and fellows out there. Welcome to our eight and, for now, last episode of this conflict-sensitive journalism podcast. In our podcast series on conflict-sensitive journalism, we first looked at the origins of new journalistic models for covering conflict and compared their approaches and reasoning. Then we took a closer look at the practical implementation of these ideas and the tools conflict-sensitive journalism proposes to journalists covering conflict. Now, in this final episode, I would like you to take a step back again and look at journalism through the lens of democracy and peacebuilding, focusing on a question that I feel needs a fair bit more discussing. Who is responsible for improving the quality of conflict coverage in the media? Who should get involved in the process? And how? So in this last episode I want to discuss with you why journalists shouldn't be peace advocates and peace advocates shouldn't train journalists. Some thoughts on training journalists. As explored previously, growing awareness of the negative impact of media reporting on conflicts has sparked discussion among media practitioners and civil society actors about the role and responsibilities of journalists when covering conflict. This discussion has led to the development of the concepts of peace journalism and conflict-sensitive journalism. Both today are offered with an increasing number of trainings to journalists who cover conflict and war. Some of the organizations offering trainings are media organizations, but many are not. Their range includes civil society players and governmental organizations, mainly from the sector of development cooperation, church-based organizations, peace organizations or other NGOs. While one could argue that it doesn't matter where improvement comes from, as long as it addresses the problems, in the case of media reform the situation is more complicated. Journalism has to maintain certain boundaries which non-media organizations need to understand and respect if they seek to collaborate with or train journalists. <music> journalism is the pillar of democracy. In the past, journalism has been defined in various ways, as a mirror, only reporting the facts, or as information service. Journalists themselves describe their task as informing, educating, a watchdog that keeps government and other actors in society accountable. To understand what role journalists fulfill, one has to first understand the systems and functions of democratic societies. Democracy is a political system that is built on the fundamental assumption that all members of a society should be allowed to participate in political debate and in decision-making. It's this idea of political participation that democracy tries to implement through the party system and democratic, free and anonymous elections. A democracy, however, is only functional to the extent to which its citizens are democratic. To implement political participation in democracy, a democratic country requires its citizens to understand three fundamental aspects. First, their role in democracy. Second, the current situation. 
and third, the possible and likely consequences of their choices. Simply put, people have to understand what is happening around them and how they themselves interact with it. It is the task of a country's educational system to make its citizens understand their role in democracy. The task of journalism in a democratic country is to provide citizens with a day-to-day -day information and understanding of relevant matters affecting society. Journalism thereby contributes to people's understanding of the current situation. By providing factual information, journalism equips all members of society with the understanding needed to make an informed decision. Furthermore, journalism provides all members of society a space to express their opinion. It is this ability to join into the discussion that changes people's roles from being passive observers to being active participants in political debate. Broska captured this task in his Discursive Journalism Model from 2006. This model suggests that journalism provides a communication channel for all members of society, hereby providing access to information, but also serving as a platform for public discourse. Conflict-sensitive journalism has adopted the discursive journalism model as one of the key features of professional journalism. Understanding journalism as a communication channel provides important guidance for practicing journalists. It helps journalists to better understand their role in society and to recognize where reporters and editors fail to perform to professional standards. To serve the role of communication channel, journalists need to be impartial and accurate in their reporting. Every agenda added to the reporting affects the flow of communication and blurs information, much like water that is flowing through a dirty pipe. That is why journalism can only fulfill its task when free of any agenda, advocacy or other external influence. I'm well aware that this is an ideal that hardly exists in reality. Nevertheless, it is important to work towards. The problem with any advocacy is that as soon as a journalist adopts an advocacy and uses his writing to push this advocacy's agenda, none of his writing can be seen as unbiased anymore. Without proper guidance, the reader of news can't distinguish whether an article or other journalistic product is accurate and fact-based, represents the writer's opinion, or is product of an advocacy. The guidance he or she needs to be able to rely on is the written or broadcasted word of the journalist, that information presented is true and factual. Every intention that exceeds the providing of unbiased information for the sole sake of informing the public has to be considered propaganda. And propaganda that pretends to be impartial and accurate reporting undermines the credibility of the journalist and hence the journalism profession at large, and by depriving the public of a free choice undermines democracy as such. Fake news aren't white lies. With the US presidency of Donald Trump, the Brexit debate and referendum in the UK and the rise of right-wing nationalism, the term fake news has infested any debate around media and journalism. Fake news is a powerful weapon in the arsenal of propagandists. But what are fake news, really? Technically, there are two kinds of fake news. First, there's propaganda that pretends to be factual and independent journalism. This concept is all but new. Every war effort starts with stories of atrocities, one-sided reporting, demonizing and the creation of an us-versus-them logic. An essential element of this propaganda process are so-called dead baby stories. 
stories that report of human tragedy and atrocities against the most vulnerable, often children, and are designed to urge the public into permitting action and accepting, for example, a military intervention. These stories can be true, represented without context, serving its purpose of stirring anger, but more often they are lies. Either way, they are presented to manipulate public opinion and remove inhibitions towards force and violence as a suggested solution to conflict. The second type of fake news is the opposite. These are stories that represent truths that those in power find uncomfortable and so seek to suppress. By discrediting well-researched verified media reports as fake news, autocratic leaders, dictators and manipulators do even more damage than by spreading lies. They undermine the credibility of the only source of independent information, journalism, and therefore remove access to free public discourse. In a world of fake news, nothing can be believed anymore. The tragedy is that, where there's no remaining reference point for truth, everything is up for grabs. The loudest voice wins the argument, and all nuances go down the drain, taking with them the right of minorities, the voice of reason, free and open discourse, individual choice, and, ultimately, democracy. The role of journalists in democratic society vis-à-vis -vis peace advocacy. When you're one of those brave people passionate about defending the rights of minorities, democracy and peace, you probably feel that all of this is a very good reason for journalists to step out of their detached objectivity and take a stand, use their profession to spread the word and defend social values and human rights. Now, this is where it gets rather tricky. When journalists choose to advocate peace, of course they do it because they want to do something good and meaningful in service of humanity and for a better world. There's no doubt that well-designed and implemented initiatives for peace are immensely valuable, courageous and urgently needed. However, for journalists the situation is more complicated. Regardless how good the intentions behind adopting an advocacy, it remains an advocacy and therefore fundamentally contradicts the journalist's role in society. Pursuing an advocacy through journalism contradicts one of the most fundamental rules and values in journalism. Journalists have to be impartial and present the truth without bias. One could argue that supporting peace is more important than journalism values. That is no doubt a valid argument, but let's have a closer look at the reasons behind the journalistic rule. Why shouldn't journalists adopt any advocacy? Well, first of all, not all that has peace on its label in fact supports peace. Propagandists of all kinds use the term peace to market a variety of agendas, including war. If we believe politicians and their spin doctors, wars today are all waged for the reason of bringing freedom and democracy to the oppressed. See, for example, Iraq. And to defend our own freedom and our own peace. See, the so-called war on terror. If that truly is the case, or if a hidden agenda uses this spin to convince us that war is necessary, shall be the topic of another CSJ pamphlet. The second reason why journalists should not adopt peace advocacy, or any other, is a bit more complicated. Journalism is a profession that doesn't have its purpose in itself, but serves a higher purpose. As explained earlier, By providing factual and non-biased information, journalists give all members of society a chance to make an informed decision. 
This is a prerequisite for political participation and democracy. Without unbiased information, choices would be limited to those most propagated, often controlled by a limited number of individuals. Freedom and participation in decision-making would be an illusion. Choice is not only an aspect of democracy. It is also an essential aspect of peace. Peace can be defined as the absence of direct cultural and structural violence, or, to use the concept of Galtung, a condition in which all members of a society can unfold their full human potential. To unfold full potential requires the absence of hindering factors, such as discrimination, limitation of access to education, etc. But it also requires the freedom of choice. In peace, choice represents the element of freedom, and journalism is critical to creating choice by presenting the options. Furthermore, journalism serves the human rights. The Catalogue of Human Rights specifies that every person has the right to information and education, and has the right to express their opinion freely. In the discursive journalism model, journalists see themselves as instruments of both, the source of information, but also a channel for communication across society, that is, a platform for discourse. When looking at the three elements that comprise the normative framework for journalism practice, we see that journalism in fact serves democracy, human rights and peace by its nature. However, journalism paradoxically could fulfill none of these functions if it gave up its seeking for truth and striving for unbiased information. Adopting an advocacy means limiting people's choices, shaping information to highlight a specific agenda and thereby shaping public discourse. Hence, in some way, it actually limits freedom and choice. Therefore, as mad as it sounds, journalism can only serve peace when it accepts that war remains an option people might actually choose. So who is responsible for change? Within this context, we're facing a bit of a dilemma. To protect journalism from advocacy means, strictly speaking, that the training and education of journalists need to remain the sole responsibility of the media. Reality is, however, that many media organizations are owned by individuals or groups who have a political or economic agenda. Their decisions were to invest and focus their efforts is not necessarily in line with the role journalists need to fulfill in society. This is where public-funded media is incredibly valuable. Provided it doesn't follow the trend of a commercial prerogative or a political agenda. That is another big discussion and a rant I will not expand on here and now though. With privately owned media being driven by a private equity agenda, the struggle for high quality journalism falls back to two groups. The journalists and editors themselves, who have to fend for their profession even against their own organizations, and those of us who care about the values our society is built on. Where governments or NGOs have a chance to educate journalists and conflict-sensitive journalism, that opportunity shouldn't be squandered. However, any training needs to be built on and respect the role of journalism, its responsibilities and its boundaries, and has to be run by qualified journalists, not by advocates. So let's summarize. Let's wrap this up. Journalism serves democracy, human rights and peace by providing impartial, unbiased and factual information. 
This information allows all members of society to develop an opinion and make an informed choice, which is the essence of freedom. Every limitation to the impartiality of journalism limits choices and therefore undermines freedom, participation and ultimately democracy and peace. Advocacy uses communication to shape people's opinion and influence their choices. This contradicts the core of the journalistic role in society and makes journalists lose their credibility. Since journalism is the only function in society that has the sole task of providing unbiased information, people would not have any reliable fundament for decision-making anymore were they to lose their journalism and consequently no basis for making a free and informed choice. Let me be very clear. I am by no means criticizing advocacy work here. There is a lot of good and incredibly important advocacy work undertaken which is worth supporting. Also, journalists can engage in peacework, environmental protection or advocacy as individuals. However, they need to be very careful to clearly distinguish between their role as journalists and their personal advocacy. This is why media organizations very clearly name pieces that are opinion and not fact and label sponsorships, advertisements, etc. that do not represent independent factual information. You might think now all of this sounds quite idealistic. You're right. Our journalism is far from living up to its role in society. The reasons are many. The consequences are drastic and obvious. Our freedom of choice is as much an illusion as the impartiality of our journalism. But doesn't that mean it is even more important that we urge journalists and their media organizations to do better? A note at the end of all this for the peace advocates among us concerned about journalism offering all choices. I do believe that, despite our many faults, human beings aren't stupid. There will only be very few individuals who actively choose war if they truly understand its ugly consequences and they're aware that there's always an alternative. So here now we finally have reached the end of our podcast series on conflict-sensitive journalism. I really hope you enjoyed listening to my thoughts and ramblings as much as I enjoyed putting all of this together for you. If you have questions, thoughts to share or want to raise objections, feel free to get in touch via the peacebuilding practitioner. I'm always keen to hear your thoughts on the matter. I now hand over the torch to my fellows at the Peacebuilding Practitioner to take over the podcast for a new and fascinating topic. Thanks again for joining me. Keep your own great work up, be it in journalism, conflict transformation, peacebuilding, or any other world-improving endeavor. Whatever you do and wherever you are, as always, stay safe and stay sane. It's a wild world out there full of daunting challenges and breathtaking adventures. So much for today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you hit the subscribe button so you won't miss out on any of the future episodes. And I would really appreciate if you leave me a rating on iTunes, on Spotify, Stitcher or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you want to learn more about the Peacebuilding Practitioner, head over to my webpage. That's www.thepeacebuildingpractitioner.org where you find plenty of articles from practitioners for practitioners. And if you want to dive even deeper into this field of work, join us for one of our online courses. If you want to learn more about that, just get in contact with me. You'll find the contact details in the show notes or on my webpage.